If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for being here all week long. It's been an exciting week. A lot going on. Not good for the administration. Not close. I don't even care if you're a Democrat or independent listening to me or Republican. It's just a fact. It's not, I mean, you don't look back at that time when John McCain walked in on repeal and replace Obamacare, see his thumbs down and think, what a great day for Republicans or Donald Trump. It wasn't. Tax reform was. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And there's a lot of things that were uh, doing the trade deals. They were. I mean, that's just, and then you can give your opinion analysis, but this has been a week like I've never even seen before. So anytime the president's in trouble, he does a couple of things. Uh, he has, talks about the pandemic. That doesn't work anymore uh, because it's such a disaster the way he's handling it. Then he talks about uh, the bipartisan legislation. That'll be today. What he was talking about for the longest time is that he was, uh, that he was a president that was going to bring people together. That ship has sailed. And when you want to get ratings, you talk about January 6th. When you got to get ratings, you want to talk about Donald Trump. But now the president is so overwhelmed with the series of events and the ramifications of his actions, he can't get out of his own way. And I'm going to go over the whole list. So let's get to the big three first. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Putin is going to have a choice here to make. Does he want to take on uh, consequential economic sanctions and more troops posted in NATO countries than what are there now and more missiles in those countries than what are there now? Or is he going to conduct a limited attack into eastern Ukraine? There's a lot going on. Man, Russia, a lot of talking and no tangible gain. Now Russia is threatening America in our own backyard. Plus, there was just a massive cyber attack targeting the Ukrainian government hours after the NATO-Russia talks ended. Coincidence? Don't think so. Number two. The 500 million tests that have been ordered that are going to be sent to every, every American. Do we know when those are going out? Shortly. They're going to go out shortly. They've been or? ordered. They've been ordered. We, I have to look at the current information. I think it's going to be by next week. Should we have done that sooner? We are doing it. But should we have done it sooner? We are doing it. <laughs> when she says it one more time, we're doing it. COVID catastrophe, from testing to mixed messaging to Supreme Court losses, every aspect of the handling of this pandemic is under scrutiny from Dems and Republicans, and Joe Biden's getting message is getting a failing grade from all sides. What's also clear, Joe and this nation can't expect the VP, as you just heard, to save the day after another cringeworthy interview. Number one. As we kind of hit this one-year period and a period where everything seems like it's in pretty rough shape or nearly everything. You do hard things in White Houses. Um, you have every challenge laid at your feet. We could certainly propose legislation to see if people uh, support bunny rabbits and ice cream, but that wouldn't be very rewarding to the American people. Right. Uh, Jen Psaki, thanks for that. One year in, the worst week, ending with an embarrassing, futile, inept attempt to blow up the filibuster and then ram a voting rights bill through the Senate. And if you disagree with it, you're Jefferson Davis. 
Biden doesn't have the votes from his own party, and he knew it before he put his presidential prestige on the line to personally sway them at the Capitol building. I mean, the president gets his convoy of SUVs. They go to the Capitol building to personally lobby Democrats to blow up the filibuster and pass on a simple majority the John Lewis voting reform bill, which would be a disaster for this country. Disaster. And... Nationalize election for the most part. Forget about voter ID for the most part. Create a national holiday for voting like we could really afford to take another day off for no reason. So it didn't happen. In route, he finds out that it's not going to happen. He doesn't. He only has 48 Democratic votes. And he still shows up and he still loses. This two days after a speech that was so unhinged, even his own party and left-wingers like Dick Durbin say, yeah, it was a little over the top. So what am I talking about? So who am I talking about? Number one, we don't know about Mark Kelly. He's gutless. This is a military guy that goes into space, and he doesn't have the guts to stand up and tell us where he stands on any issues. His seat is up. If the Republicans don't put a real push to oust him, he is totally phoning it in, literally. So Kirsten Cinema, with all the guts, and I say that, I don't care. I've never met her, never interviewed her, but this woman is fearless. So she knows she's from a purple state. She knows she got elected. Uh, not to be a left winger. And man, does she believe that? She said, look, I'm for the voting rights legislation, but I don't want to blow up the filibuster. I've said that for two years. So they thought they could sway him. That's why Senator Schumer came out and said on Martin Luther King Day, we're going to have a vote and we're going to jam it down the Republicans' throat if they don't agree to this voting rights bill. Okay. But I thought you're missing Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. We're doing it. We're going to convince him. Really? The president's on his way. I'm saying, wait, you only have 48 votes. What am I missing? Is there a backdoor deal? Yesterday, the ultimate insider, Chad Program, came on. He said, I don't think they have the votes. So I'm saying, I guess they know more than me because Joe Biden's been in Washington for 50-plus years. He would never embarrass the presidency like this, his own prestige, his own carte blanche, with ca- and capital. Would he? Well, before he gets there, here's Senator Kirsten Cinema. Cut one. There's no need for me to restate my longstanding support for the 60-vote threshold to pass legislation. There's no need for me to restate its role protecting our country from wild reversals in federal policy. So she's not voting for it. She didn't budge. You know, she is for the voting reform, which I find scary, but she's not budging. Senator Joe Manchin, listen to it. Cut three. Did you listen to Senator Sinema's speech on the oh, floor? She did an excellent job. Do you, do you agree with many of the points that she made? I think it's the points that I've been making for an awful long time, and she has too. Okay, so I'm I, I'm I'm always open to people being smarter than me. Uh, with a better game plan than I have. But I'm just trying to think ahead. I'm doing this show. Fox and Friends are going to be on The Five tonight. I was on Tucker last night. So I'm always trying to think, what don't I know? Turns out, it's I'm not missing anything. It's President Biden, who still goes to Capitol Hill, goes behind closed doors, and then has got to find the microphone. First, he doesn't even know if it's on. When you walk up to these microphones, they're always on. They're hot microphones. He's been in the Senate literally for 50 years. He, then he goes to the executive branch, and he acts so clueless. So he has to come out and address the press, which he hates doing. He never has any answers. In the middle of a raging pandemic without masks, with uh, we have plenty of vaccines, with, uh, with controversy on the boosters, we don't know what's going on with the, these, these hospitals. We the, the PPE we're buying from China. Uh, the masks might be effective. we got to get N95. Schools not open. With what, what, all this stuff swirling, 
So Joe Manchin's got to come out and realize, excuse me, Joe Biden's got to come out and realize he doesn't have the votes. He's got to go address the press. Cut four. Mr. President, Senator Sinema is opposed to filibuster reform. Can you get this done? I hope we can get this done. The honest-to-God answer is I don't know whether we can get this done. Is this mic on? I guess. Anyway. And, uh, and I'm not sure either. But anyway, I hope we can get this done. Don't worry. You know, I like Mike Pence more every day, Dick Cheney more every day, because they're just competent. Dick Cheney was in the House for a while, and then he, he was Secretary of Defense. So we, you might not like his advice, you might not like, but he's so competent. Rand Halliburton, so competent. Mike Pence is competent, right? Everyone had problems with Dan Quayle, and I think he got a bad rap, but I never thought he was the, the smartest guy around. Al Gore evidently was competent. Uh, they didn't get along with Bill Clinton in the end. They don't even speak. But what happened is you need a vice president that's going to backfill, backfill the areas in which you're not doing. Number one, I'm going to pull a U.S. senator in who's a minority, who's a female, makes some history, but who knows her way around the Senate. That's her job full time, knows her way around the Senate, is young, could maybe push on Manchin, give you an inside straight, let the president know don't show up at the Capitol today because you don't have the votes, Mr. President. But she sits down again in her big rehab tour. She shows up in Georgia for that terrible speech, so therefore she's stained with it. And then she does uh, the San Francisco Chronicle where she admits uh, we did not see these variants coming. And then she sits down with NBC, and you would think that she's going to have an easy time. But she doesn't have an easy time. She's not going to get this uh, this civil rights things passed. She does not have an answer on the pandemic. Would they have more deaths than Donald Trump ever had? And they have not innovated anything. The therapeutic that was engineered was not part of their version of warp speed. Therefore, now that we have it, we don't have enough of it to give to any people. So here's an example of some of the exchange that any politician, CEO, vice president of any small or big company would have to be able to answer. Cut 14. The 500 million tests that have been ordered that are going to be sent to every, every American, do we know when those are going out? Shortly. They're going to go out shortly. Next They've been or? ordered. They've been ordered. We, I have to look at the current information. I think it's going to be by next week. But soon. Absolutely soon. And it is a matter of urgency for us. Should we have done that sooner? We are doing it. But should we have done it sooner? We are doing it. She says it one more time after that. We're doing it. What do you mean you should be doing it? Almost the minute the interview ends and airs, the White House comes out and says it's not going to be ready next week because they didn't order anything ahead of time. So I, we asked Donald Trump to come up, his administration, to come up with a test. The FDA, the CDC was not ready for it. They, they figured it out. They got rapid tests. They got PCR tests. All he had to do was fulfill, just send out the invoice. He didn't do it. So what I'm going to do, I have so much to say about this. Obviously, I've got to read off everything that's gone wrong this week, and I don't relish in doing it. I'd much rather talk about policy than talk about epic fails and incompetence, but that's what I'm dealing with. The other big story, and you know, I have a passion for world events and what took place with these series uh, with Russia the, and NATO and, and the U.S. has uh, now come to a close, and Russia has responded with action, and it's not good. I want to speak to someone, uh, someone who used to be the Supreme um, uh, allied commander of NATO. He is next, Admiral James Stavridis, and then Senator Bill Cassie brings me back inside Washington. We'll finish the hour with your phone calls, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The good news coming out of the negotiations is that, that the United States and our European allies, and particularly our, we were worried about the French and the Germans, who are clearly soft on Russia, we have made no concessions. We have stood our ground in terms of not ex the right to expand NATO as we see fit, if countries want to join and they're qualified. And two, we're not going to change our disposition and composition of our forces in NATO countries that border on Russia. Actually, what Russia was seeking is a dismantling of NATO kind of absurd, but nonetheless, he put that right on the table that gives you a right. sense of where he is heading with this. Uh, that's General Jack Keane with me about an hour ago on Fox and Friends. And now I want to bring in Admiral James Stravitas. I know they really respect each other. And, of course, you're the 16th Supreme Allied Commander, author of multiple, multiple bestsellers, including the Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea, and the 2034 bestseller novel of the next World War. Uh, Admiral, do you agree? Did you hear – I know you, you're very tight with this administration or you have inroads. Did you hear any concessions hereof? Absolutely. Absolutely not. And I think General Jack has it exactly right. He said it would be absurd for NATO to give ground on either of the two key points that he mentioned. I would say uh, I'd use the word preposterous uh, to even consider it. I think we've got to stand firm. And the good news is the whole alliance, uh, 30 nations now, are standing firm on this, and I think we'll continue to do so. So what's happened since a major cyber attack into the Ukraine, more weaponry yep. moved into the Ukrainian border region. So it looks like they're sending a message. They're not happy. They got nothing. How would you react now? At this point, uh, we've got the weekend over which uh, Vladimir Putin will get briefed by all of the different Russian diplomats who met with their counterparts in the U.S.-Russian talks, in the NATO-Russia talks, and in the most recent, Brian, yesterday, the OECD talks in Vienna. So all those diplomats are going to go back on bended knee to Vladimir Putin and deliver the bad news that he already knows is coming. I think he'll take the weekend to really take a deep breath, and let's hope he makes the right decision here, which would be to back down. Um, if he doesn't, here's the heart of your question, what do we do next? I would say we ought to be rushing uh, weapons into Ukraine right now. Right now, right? Absolutely. There is no reason to wait on that. Um, we ought to be pushing, you know, defensive but lethal weapon systems, anti-armor, anti-air, anti-tank, all of that. Second, we ought to be providing the Ukrainians the absolute top-grade intelligence, minute to minute. Thirdly, we ought to give them some top cover in the world of cyber. As you just mentioned, the Russians are probing into their cyber systems now. We have defensive mechanisms that can help them. We have offensive things we can do that would uh, startle the Russians. I think it's time to really show the Russians where we're headed here and to include laying out point by point um, the pain of the economic sanctions that are going to come.
In a way. But now you read the Wall Street Journal, I'm sure you did. Russia is threatening now to deploy troops and infrastructure into Venezuela and Cuba. Essentially, they keep telling us, why are you so concerned about the Ukraine? Why You wouldn't tolerate missiles in Mexico. Why should we tolerate missiles in the Ukraine or an alliance with, uh, I guess, Russia with Mexico? That isn't the case. So we had the Monroe Doctrine, uh, which was modified. So what do you say to Russia's threat? For starters, it's a false equivalence as follows. Um, Russia has now invaded its neighbors uh, three times by my count, uh, once into a small country, Moldova. They hold a chunk of that called Transnistria. More famously, they went into Georgia 2008. They carved out a chunk of Georgia. Thirdly, and most uh, recently, 2014, into Ukraine, now uh, huge troop movements, and by the way, also attack helicopters moving to that border. Nowhere in the Americas do we see the United States uh, invading its neighbors, pushing into it. And so I would say, as we look at that false equivalence, um, first and foremost, Venezuela, we don't recognize the administration of uh, Nicolas Maduro. We recognize the opposition leader, Juan Guido. He, he, Guido, has already come out and said it would be unacceptable for Russian troops to be stationed there. Cuba, we have a more economic, diplomatic, uh, particularly sanctions that can be applied to Cuba. We've got tools to counter that. We can make both those nations feel the pain as well. And we should. I want you to hear what General Keene said about his concern about Germany. Cut 38. We've had a problem with the Germans and Angela Merkel right from the beginning when she initiated this. And she had significant European opposition, Western European as well as Eastern European opposition to it. Certainly the Trump administration fought this tooth and nail to get it stopped. She now has a successor, Schultz, who's a little left of center from her. He's someone that we have been very concerned about because he's soft on, on Russia here. What the United States is attempting to do with him is get a commitment out of him, if the Russians go into Ukraine, that he will shut down that pipeline. And I'm not convinced he's got the wherewithal to stand up to Russia and do that. So, and people are talking about the Nord Stream 2, which is not quite done yet. I just don't, I don't get it. Uh, they want us to protect them. They bypass Ukraine with this pipeline, and they know that Russia is showing you they can't be depended on, and they want to be dependent on them with their energy. Brian, I'm with you and General Jack on this one, and, and this goes back to the days when I was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, working with Chancellor Merkel, and I watched our diplomats roll in again and again into Berlin and say, don't do this. Um, as you mentioned, Eastern European countries in particular said, don't do this. Hey, I got three letters for you. LNG, liquefied natural gas. We ought to be saying to the Europeans, look, if the Russians really do turn the taps down, we will supply you at a fair market price liquefied natural gas, which can flow across the Atlantic and into your terminals. So there are solutions to this. Europeans have made, a, in my view, a mistake, and I've said this directly to Chancellor Merkel, directly to other European leaders. Um, it's a mistake. We had to hold that pipeline as leverage, potentially shutting it down. We could push Germany to do so, Brian. Admiral, uh, thanks so much. Uh, true education. You move the story forward. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, Senator Bill Cassidy next. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. While I continue to support these bills, I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. The debate over the Senate 60 vote threshold shines a light on our broader challenges. And that was Senator Sinem yesterday. And then Joe Biden's on his way there to push and twist arms and and say, we're going to blow up the filibuster. We're going to pass voting right legislation. I'm going to be the true hero. And once again, he falls flat on his face because Senator Sinema, nobody sent him the rundown. She went to the microphone and said, I am not blowing up. The filibuster. Joe Manchin, I told you I'm not blowing up the filibuster. What do Democrats and Chuck Schumer not understand? Senator Bill Cassidy has seen a lot. And to his credit, he said, I'm for the bipartisan bill and the bill back better is not going to pass. And I thought, well, that's optimistic because everybody else on the Democratic side says it will. You were right. And they're not blowing up the filibuster. You were right again. Senator, what about the drama that took place yesterday? Hey, Brian, thank you very much. I loved what curse with cinema said. The disease of division. Now, Biden campaigned. He gave his inaugural speech that he was going to heal our division. And then he goes to Georgia, and he speaks in a way which could not be more inflammatory, more likely to divide Americans against each other, more likely to rob us of the sense that we actually are fellow Americans. I I think her speech was brilliant, and I like the way she phrased it. Well, by by the way, she's going to look at as the MVP of the Democrats because the way things are going in this country right now, it doesn't take a political insider to know Republicans are about to gain a, a degree of power and maybe total power, at which time there's going to be calls for Republicans to blow up the filibuster. And they won't. And she is setting precedent and she'll look like a hero then. But in the meantime, on a side note, Senator, she has to get security. I'm watching these people getting very close to her. She's always walking by herself. One time Tim Scott saved her in an airport. I mean, do you guys talk about that? You know, security is a part of all our lives. And Steve Scalise got shot by some unhinged guy that followed Bernie Sanders. Uh, we're all aware that there's just a small percentage, but but big enough to cause problems, uh, which, again, when President Biden says he wants to heal division, that was what it was supposed to be about. Instead, he goes to Georgia and lights a match beneath it. It was the nuttiest speech, the most unhinged speech. Now, if he was in an interview and he started saying things like that, I'd say, well, this guy's really got to control his temper. But someone wrote that. He read it. If you don't agree with me, you're Jefferson Davis. If you do, you're Abraham Lincoln. I mean, is this is this 1880? I mean, I, I could not believe it. So, why don't you take a few hey, minutes? Hey, Brian, can Go I ahead. point out? Can I point? Can I point out an irony there? Jefferson Davis was a Democrat, and Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, he voted to reinstate Jefferson Davis's citizenship in 1977. Do you know that? He helped Jimmy Carter pass that when he was in the Senate. So, But it's not accurate. The main thing is, and we had the Secretary of State of Georgia on, 
The main thing is it's not accurate. It'd be different if you guys said no more mail-in voting, only voting uh, on Tuesday from 9 to 5. I wouldn't be for that. But that is just not the case. You, in some states, they reeled in pandemic rules to post-pandemic life. And in 19 states, they changed the rules to control the voting. And in, in oh, oh, 24 states, they loosened them up. So where's this coming from, Senator? And may I point out that I know you know, in Georgia, there's more early – in Louisiana, there's more early voting days than in Delaware, than in New York. Now, the two blue states compared to the two red states, although Georgia's become a little purplish, um, we've got more early voting days than do they. Uh, so, so the president and, – and by all he says, it's about counting the votes. But one thing we found in the last election is that if you have any problem with counting the votes, the federal courts step in pretty quickly, pretty forcefully, and they demand facts. So I think however President Biden goes, he's absolutely wrong. He's using this for political purposes to stir up his base in advance of the midterms and, by the way, to hold their – to kind of mask their failure of failing to pass the BBB bill. I want you to hear the president yesterday. So Kirsten Sinema speaks. Manchin got comments by the, the elevated door. They go behind closed doors. And Senator Biden, get, excuse me, President Biden gets word that this thing is not going to pass. Then he has to go out to the microphones. Who's his chief of staff? Who's his PR people? He's gotten never with anybody. Cut five. Like every other major civil rights bill that came along, if we missed the first time, we could come back and try it a second time. We missed this time. We missed this time. And the state legislative bodies continue to change the law, not as to who can vote, but who gets to count the vote. Count the vote. Count the vote. It's about election subversion, not just whether or not people get to vote. What is he talking? I mean, I guess he's talking about the controversy after the last election of 2016, Hillary Clinton never admitting she lost in 2018. Stacey Abrams never admitting. I mean, Hillary Clinton did concede, but every other subsequent interview, she talked about how the Russians delivered that election for uh, Trump. 2018, Stacey Abrams has never conceded the election for governor. So him yelling like that, put on your analysis cap for a second. You're a doctor. What's going on here? You know, remember the old uh, re- the old senator from Georgia uh, and Sam Irvin, I think, he said Sam Rayburn when Sam another uh, Irvin uh, he said if the facts are on your side you argue the facts and if the spirit of the law is on your side you argue the spirit and if neither the facts or the spirit on your law you yell like heck and what we saw there was a the guy yelling yelling count the votes because neither the facts nor the spirit of the law is on his side um, uh, this is a political play. By a president whose presidency is going down, it's going down fast, and I think it has to be just viewed as that and nothing else. Uh, yeah, I just don't understand. If he wants to run as a moderate, he would have had Manchin. He would have had guys like you. He would have had Mitt Romney. He would have had a lot of Republicans going his way, and it would have pushed the the wild left wingers to get in line because they know this is their shot. I mean, they had the government. I think it'll go down in history of saying the worst thing to happen to Joe Biden. He thought was the best. And that's those two Georgia Senate seats, his meeting with those historians that told him he could be like FDR. Then he said, I got both chambers and I, you know, I got I got history on my side. 
I could do anything when he can't. He is in FDR. He is in LBJ. He can't. Uh, that's not where the country is right now. What bothers you about the John Lewis voting bill? Uh, a lot of things bother me. It's basically about taking control from state and local government, where we've done pretty well, making incredible progress over the history of our country, and putting it within a federal office. So subject to abuse, as we've seen federal agencies be abused, um, uh, in order to dictate results. Now, this is about a permanent Democratic majority because they changed the FEC, so it's kind of a Democratic commission. They have federal financing of elections. They do a lot of things that Americans just don't want, and it's so partisan that it's easily seen through. Uh, I could keep going, uh, but, uh, but by the way, if you want to fix the Electoral College Act so that uh, Kamala Harris can't you know, have to certify the election, I'm all for that. I think that's a great idea. So are we. I think most of America uh, is, and so is every Republican, but they just don't want to vote on that because it's not enough. Just like the bipartisan right. bill was not enough. Today the president will, will celebrate that, and you had everything to do with it. I want you to hear Kamala Harris. The other area you have is a, a medical background, and we are all frustrated with this pandemic. The fact is the uh, the hospitals are still dealing with too many patients. There are too many cases. We don't have enough tests. And the vaccine information and intelligence is not making people feel better. I will tell you that as an everyman, not as a doctor. And I will tell you the fact that therapeutics aren't mass produced, even though they are passed through the FDA and CDC, is maddening. Here's Kamala Harris when asked about is it time to change tactics? Cut 14. The 500 million tests that have been ordered that are going to be sent to every, every American, do we know when those are going out? Shortly. They're going to go out shortly. Next They've been or? ordered. They've been ordered. We, I have to look at the current information. I think it's going to be by next week. But soon. Absolutely soon. And it is a matter of urgency for us. Should we have done that sooner? We are doing it. But should we have done it sooner? We are doing it. She won't answer, will you? Absolutely. Of course. Congress gave the administration uh, uh, tens of billions of dollars to, to have tests on store, uh, on hand. And it's not like, oh, my gosh, let's order a bunch more. It's no like, by gosh, we've got to always have a bunch in reserve. And as we send them out, we replace our reserves. It's like how Walmart does their inventory, except apparently in our case, we just said, oh, let's just use the ones we have and then we'll order some more. That's not the way you fight a pandemic. People need to know if they're infected so that they can either go into quarantine or stay in quarantine. But they shouldn't be wandering around and can't find a test. You can't find a test. There's been no innovation. All they have to do is fill out an invoice, and he didn't do it. So this it right. blows me away. Why? What is the hesitancy when it comes to therapeutics? That would be a great press conference. I'd like you to meet the CEO of Merck. I'd like you to meet the CEO of Pfizer. Let them tell you what they now have an answer to keep people out of hospitals. And we've already pre-ordered 100 million. But instead, there was no Biden version of warp speed. And there's a reluctance to talk about therapeutics. Again, Dr. Cassidy, why? When You know, when, when you are fighting a pandemic like this, you need everything in your armamentarium, armamentarium, and it is a public health war, which means that you never stop. And just when you think that you have the pandemic under control, you keep on fighting. You cut off the head. You bury the body. You dismember it because you can never take for granted that it won't come back. And so this is the public health version of terrorism. It seems as if they got complacent. Oh, 
uh, we, we've won this, so let's move on to other priorities. You can't. you got to keep on pushing every different front, and they did not do that. So I want to talk to you about two things that aren't necessarily in the headlines but easily could have brought you guys together. Can't we agree that Sarnioff, uh, the Boston bomber, the, the surviving one, the younger brother, should not get a stimulus check? You put together legislation where to stop stimulus checks from going to these prisoners, terrorists like him. Would it, why would the Democrats slam that shut? I have no clue why they would not unless they just felt like they had a constituency behind bars. I mean, that's the only thing I can imagine as to why that would occur. Uh, but think about it. Just so people listen, the Boston bomber got a stimulus check from the COVID relief package. And there was a, it happened the first time, and I was told it was an oversight. And so I put up a piece of legislation saying, let's remove that ability from the next round of checks, uh, which President Trump was pushing. Uh, and, and the Democrats voted to a person to oppose that. And maybe one voted for it, so don't let me say to a person, but but almost to a person, if not to a person, to oppose that. And now the Boston bomber gets a stimulus check, as well as the rapist and the murderer and the armed robber, et cetera. Also, you have this thing, very interesting, uh, that everyone can relate to, the terms of service labeling. You guys, you thought you had bipartisan agreement to propose a terms of service labeling. So when you hop on a website or you click on something, you actually understand the terms of service. Just like you have to include when uh, you're involved in, if you're on a mailing list, you could stop receiving those uh, those emails. What happened with this? Yeah, so we're pushing that now. So the the initials uh, could be turn. Uh, it could also be uh, of the bill. The TLDR is too long. Don't read. Because for so many people, I'm going to click on the privacy policy, and then you know this is written by an attorney, and I'm not going to get there. There was a study saying it would take the average American. 76 days to read all the um, uh, privacy statements of all the tech companies that they use. And they're selling our data. They're swapping our data. Brian, they know more about you and I do than you and I do about ourselves than we know. Uh, um, And things you wouldn't think about, they're able to track, and they sell that data. There's information that, that people who have HIV have had their diagnoses sold. Um, there is our data, which is going for members of our armed services, which can be sold to foreign governments. I could keep going about the kind of traffic. Gotcha. Uh, but that said, we're making it so that you can easily figure out if they're selling your data, what they're doing with your data, and you can opt out. Lastly, uh, Cleveland, Newark, uh, New Jersey, and Washington are, uh, are seeing that they're, it seems as though the peaks infections are beginning to drop. Now, we saw what happened in the U.K. We saw what happened in South Africa. Um, There's a suggestion now that we're going to be peaking with this Omicron soon, as in the next week or two. Is that what you're hearing? Yes, I am, and it makes sense. Uh, Scott Gottlieb uh, sent out a nice uh, tweet showing that as the peak goes up in previous epidemics, uh, like Delta, hospitalizations and death goes up. And this one, the peak goes up, but hospitalization and death does not go up as rapidly. And so, one, it's not been as severe, but it's a lot more infectious. Now, by the way, like I said earlier, don't become complacent. There will be another wave. So even though you think you have it down, cut it off, dismember it, bury it in different places because COVID is going to be with us for a while longer. All right, uh, Senator, lastly, Lindsey Graham came out and said, I like Mitch McConnell. He's my friend. I like Donald Trump. He's my friend. But Mitch McConnell can't work 
uh, with Donald Trump. He can't be majority leader. Do you agree? Uh, I don't know why Lindsey's saying that, because right now President Trump is former President Trump. If he becomes President Trump again, then that would be absolutely the case. But former President Trump um, is not the one proposing legislation, signing it into law, or vetoing. So I'm not quite sure where Lindsey's coming on that. Senator uh, uh, Bill Cassidy, uh, who predicted of everything that's come true right now, there'll be a bipartisan infrastructure bill, but there will not be a bill back better. Thankfully, you were right. Uh, Senator Cassidy, thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Brian. Uh, back with you in just a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Madam Vice President, the fact that we're still telling people to Google where you can get a test and well, you should... but, but, oh, but come on now. I mean, really, if you if you want to figure out how to get across town to some restaurant you heard is great, you usually do Google to figure out where it is. So that's simply about giving people, right, a mechanism by which they can locate something that they need, something that can help them. That's where we're at right now. I mean, what a disastrous interview. And I thought a lot about the vice president had, which he reminds me of. And I thought Will Kane put it best today. She reminded me of somebody who has to give an oral report on a book that she didn't read. And what blows me away is that everybody knows she's bright. You don't become attorney general, senator. You don't go to law school and succeed and not be bright. So forget about not smart. It's all about work ethic. And to me, number one, she's not in any meetings. So there are certain things you just know because you're always in meetings. If someone tells you how you buy a house, you never bought one, you could go look it up and watch a video. But if you bought a few houses, you don't need to study how to buy a house. You know exactly how to do the realtor with questions to ask, mistakes you made, how to value a house, how to get an inspector. You just know it. She's not in any of the meetings. She has no idea the construct of the pandemic response, no idea the construct of the lack of a border policy, no idea of the issues that are evolved around crime raging in almost every major city, no idea about what's going wrong with the current way of dealing with uh, China and Russia and everything, because she's never in the meetings. She wants to be queen. She doesn't want to be prime minister. More than ever, we need a vice president that wants to be president. The country needs it. She's not ready for it. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com. I'm ready for you to order The President and Freedom Fighter and all my other books. I, I sign them and send them. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Happy to be coming to you from Manhattan, uh, 1211 6th Avenue. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Geraldo Rivera is standing by. He's got some great news that he shared with everybody this week. And Lonnie Chen, California State Controller Candidate and Director of Directive Policy Studies in the Public Policy Program at Stanford University. Longtime uh, a Republican insider and uh, political expert. He used to work with Mitt Romney. So I cannot wait to get his perspective on the new move by the RNC to maybe not take part in the debates in 2024? What would that be? How would we be benefiting from that? Reform it, don't kill it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Putin is going to have a choice here to make. 
Does he want to take on uh, consequential economic sanctions and more troops posted in NATO countries than are what are there now and more missiles in those countries than what are there now? Or is he going to conduct a limited attack into eastern Ukraine? Uh, that is General Jack Keane one hour ago on Fox and Friends. Russia, a lot of talking and no tangible gains on either side. Now Russia threatening America in our own backyard. Plus, there was just a massive cyber attack targeting the Ukrainian government hours after the NATO-Russian talks ended. That's not a coincidence. Number two. The 500 million tests that have been ordered that are going to be sent to every, every American, do we know when those are going out? Shortly. They're going to go out shortly. They've been ordered. They've been ordered. We, I have to look at the current information. I think it's going to be by next week. Should we have done that sooner? We are doing it. But should we have done it sooner? We are doing it. Good answer. Uh, that is somebody who is definitely the captain of the debate team. COVID, COVID catastrophe. From testing to mixed messaging from the Supreme Court losses, every aspect of the handling of this pandemic is under scrutiny from Dems and Republicans. What's also clear is Joe and this nation can't expect the VP to save the day after another cringeworthy interview. Number one. As we kind of hit this one-year period and a period where everything seems like it's in pretty rough shape or nearly everything. You do hard things in White Houses. Um, you have every challenge laid at your feet. We could certainly propose legislation to see if people uh, support bunny rabbits and ice cream, but that wouldn't be very rewarding to the American people. Well, listen, I, I understand that she has to spin one of the worst days in the history of the presidency that in modern times, but that was a ridiculous comparison. One year in, worst week ever, ending with the embarrassing, futile, inept attempt to blow up the filibuster and ram a voting rights bill through the Senate. Biden doesn't have the votes from his own party, and he knew it before he put his presidential prestige on the line to uh, personally sway them. I just don't get it. Geraldo Rivera has seen a lot, covers Washington, covers the world. I still want to talk about Russia and what it could mean with these talks breaking up. But first things first, Geraldo, the president of the United States, before he got to the Capitol, Kirsten Sinema already said his his goal will not be reached. How embarrassing is that? Oh, I think it's horribly embarrassing. And I wonder where his staff was since it happened uh, when he was en route from the White House, only one mile from the White House to the Capitol. And for uh, for him to invoke the language of the civil rights movement and the hallowed images from our troubled history when it was totally in, inapplicable, uh, I, I felt that there was a desperation there and uh, an, in, an incompetence there. I felt very badly for the president of the United States. He seemed, uh, you know, Lost. to be flailing around, uh, you know, where, where in the – and I, I think of Ron Klain, I really – the chief of staff of the White House. Uh, Rasputin is the person who comes to my mind, you know, the evil uh, uh, Machiavellian character who – took down the Russian empire. I, I just think that uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's so disappointing. And I, I, I think there's a pitiful aspect to it. And I think that you say correctly, one of the worst days in the history of the presidency that did not involve, you know, war or massacre, assassination and so forth. But, he, but he's done it before with Build Back Better. It's, you know, we, it, it, it did fail. And he showed up at the, uh, at the Capitol building twice and he came out with absolutely nothing. 
And then he said, well, I have something. He came, but turns out he goes to his uh, G7 event. He comes back and he had nothing. And then he went to his paraclimates as his climate change thing in Glasgow. He came back, he had nothing. And then he goes to Capitol Hill after a terrible speech that even Senator Dick Durbin said was over the top and then goes to Capitol Hill and gets nothing. In fact, this is what was happening while he was driving. Now, just keep in mind, I know a lot of people are busy and aren't keeping up like we are. So to, for them, I say this, just know that you need 60 votes to pass a piece of legislation in the Senate. It already passed the House and he doesn't have it. He doesn't even have 50. But in order to get this passed, he has to blow up the filibuster, carve it out, but it would blow it up. He needs 50 votes, so he needs cinema and mansion. And while he's en route to the Capitol building, Senator Cinema gets to the microphone and says this, cut one. There's no need for me to restate my longstanding support for the 60-vote threshold to pass legislation. There's no need for me to restate its role protecting our country from wild reversals in federal policy. And here is Joe Manchin as he gets into an elevator. Cut three. Did you listen to Senator Sinema's speech on the floor? She did an excellent job. Do you you agree with many of the points that she made? I think it's the points that I've been making for an awful long time, and she has too. And, you know, we don't even know where Mark Kelly stands. He seems pretty gutless for a military guy who goes into space. We never get him to weigh in on anything. Geraldo, so he gets there, and I just say to myself, what you said, where's his staff? Where's any politically savvy person, the the Clark Giffords, the the Dick Cheney, the the Andy Card have been there a while that can navigate these situations. I, I go back to Ron Klain, the uh, the White House Chief of Staff, because this was the strategy. It seems to me from the get go, they have uh, the slimmest majority you could possibly imagine, a fifty fifty split, and they have the Vice President casting the fifty first vote. That's it. With that kind of government, you can't behave as if you were Franklin Roosevelt and you had two-thirds of the Congress. You can't behave as if you have this awesome mandate to do whatever the hell you want to. It is, it's, it's a, there's an irresponsibility and an, a, a lack of realism. Uh, there's also a boldness that obviously this beau geste has, uh, has backfired uh, you know, profoundly. And I wonder if the Biden presidency can ever recover, because remember, we have three long years. We focus, uh, because we're in the media, the midterm elections and who's running in 2024 and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, you mentioned Russia and all those other, uh, Korea with hypersonic missiles and all the rest of it. There's some damn important perilous stuff out there. You need a clear-eyed executive, chief executive, and a staff that knows what the hell they're doing, Brian. And they don't. And by the way, Ron Klain, let's continue on this because you're a lawyer too. So when the Supreme Court came out with their decision to say that OSHA cannot regulate and mandate vaccines for private businesses and or testing, uh, they cited Ron Klain's retweet of Stephanie Rule. And he basically admitted that this OSHA move was a workaround from the Constitution. And this was cited by the Supreme Court justices. They knew they were doing something that didn't work and wasn't effective. And he was, he was dumb enough to do it on social media. They cited that in their decision. Well, they uh, were hip enough to, uh, to read uh, his Twitter account. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that the government has the right. The government at the federal level, the government at the state level, because that's where the police powers exist, even municipally, you can pass a law. Uh, you know, your elected government can pass a law that mandates uh, uh, vaccines. That has been established. 
And if there's health care involved, uh, where there's Medicaid, Medicare, and it's all federally funded, the federal government has a role that was the other case that was decided. But what they, what they tried to do uh, with OSHA, uh, with the, uh, the occupational safety group that, you know, they're there to make sure there's not too much asbestos in the building, uh, what they tried to do was really, it was too cool for school. It really was. I think that's the best way to say it. Too cool for school. Who the hell do you think you're kidding? And particularly when you put it in writing, for God's sake, there's no mystery here. You try to scam in, you know, something that may have been, and I believe in vaccine mandates, and I believe in vaccines, damn it. Uh, but uh, I also believe in the Constitution of the United States and what they tried to do as the Supreme Court ruled six to three was unconstitutional, Brian. Right. Uh, a couple of things. So I want to talk about what happened in Russia and NATO. I know you don't necessarily have sources there, but we know the results. It looks as though NATO and the U.S. didn't give in. That's fine. And I'm glad. And it's a relief. But on the same time, Russia is going to act. They are starting to move more equipment into the Ukraine. And yesterday there was a major cyber attack. And now the Wall Street Journal reports that their foreign minister is quoted as saying, we're going to look to put an infrastructure perhaps in Venezuela and Cuba to see how the U.S. likes having this type of weaponry on their doorstep. So where do we go from here? Well, let me, as a person with considerable experience in both those nations, Cuba and especially Venezuela, all I can say is good luck to Russia. Good luck. You want to go in those totally dysfunctional, uh, impoverished uh, Latin American countries where you have no experience other than the Russian missile missile crisis. You are a fool. Uh, It's going to Russia has nothing going for it other than the fact that they are energy rich. They have an aging population. They are a a first world army and a third world country. And uh, they are. If they want to take on Venezuela and Cuba, I gladly feed it to them. All right, go ahead, guys. Well, Let's no, no. Well, can... all they do is just take a, a portion of land, a portion of a city, and start putting in ICBMs. That would be the issue, and they could do that. Oh, they if can you? I, I know you say that half in jest, Brian. I hope you do, because if you think that any government of the United States in the right. 21st century is going to allow Russia to take over the mall, abandoned mall in Caracas, and put in ICBMs. Uh, that that ain't going to happen. One other thing I want. One other point I have to make. Where the hell are our allies in Europe when you come to uh, thwarting Russian aggression uh, in terms of Ukraine? I I want to see the German army mobilizing. Where are the French army? Where's the Polish? Army. Where are the uh, Estonia, Lithuania, these other uh, Latvia, the uh, the, Bal- the Baltic countries? They all have armies. Where? Why aren't they much more acutely responding to the Russians? It's not. It's not just the United States versus Russia. We're talking about potential Soviet aggression into Europe, which is why NATO was established in the first place, Brian. So, Geraldo, the news this week: you've had so many uh, great moments in your career. Uh, you don't need to work anymore, but but Fox is not hearing of it. They have you on the most successful show right now, in te- one of the most successful shows in television, The Five, and you're named as, as a permanent host. You're going to be rotating, but you're a permanent host on this show. So not only are you doing your reporting and, and your specials on Fox Nation, how what was, what was it like when they approached you, and what does it mean to you? Well, I had to get over the whole Gutfeld uh, situation, the fact that I'm going to be working. Gutfeld is no kill me. (laughs) (laughs) 
you and I go way back. You know, I, I'm joking, of course. No, no, yeah, very you guys get along. We frequently uh, disagree, and that's, I think, the beauty of Fox generally, uh, that that various points of view can be represented, that you don't you don't have to all sing the same song uh, to have uh, deep respect. Uh, Steve and I went at it this morning. I don't know if you saw that. I saw that, yeah. I'm talking, friends, and, uh, you know, my goodness, we, uh, we're blood brothers for 21 years. Uh, it's just that we are allowed to be who we are, and that's, that's why I enjoy that show, and uh, it well, is historic in terms of its success is unbelievable kicking butt all over town but but here's just for you personally so you write this book you say what a career i've had i'll you know i'll do reports on fox news whatever they need and now you're back basically like working doing your radio show too how do you feel about working this this much and and being on this rotation and and having this impact well i i have to say that i am the i i believe the first man uh, in history where a 78-year-old gets a three-year open-ended uh, contract. I think that that's pretty remarkable. You know, but I also think I got a kid in 10th grade. What am I going to do? Uh, you know, am I going to sit home and, uh, you know, clip coupons, uh, you know, mow the lawn, talk to the birds? Uh, you know, I, I might as well, you know, have, have some impact, uh, hopefully, on some of these issues and help guide, uh, at least let people know where I stand you know, I feel very strongly about stuff. We disagree about uh, immigration and, uh, you know, a lot of other things, including military intervention abroad, uh, Brian. But we, we, are, we are blood brothers. Uh, we are allowed by Fox to be who we are. Uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm pleased. You know, it's funny. I did a, a bit yesterday where I was going to trade in my Bentley, in which I sit right now, uh, for one of these, uh, these cars that fly. Uh, and it's going to go into production in 2030. And I said, well, I'm probably going to miss the debut of that. And everyone got a good laugh. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, well, I, 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 I'm not thinking about 2030, but I'll, I'll, I'll take to the end of this contract. I think it's great. And also, you always add a dynamic to the show because you're not uh, – it's really – I can't really anticipate a lot of times your opinions almost ever. Geraldo, you on tonight? I no no. I was on the last few uh, few nights uh, tonight. I, I usually take Fridays off. I got that from Johnny Carson, who said never work Friday night, and I, I try try to abide by that rule. In fact, I'm taking my friends to the Harbor Inn, uh, Cleveland's oldest, uh, dating back to the 19th century, and I expect to be inebriated by two three o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> okay, great. I'm going to be on the five today, so you can watch me drunk. Uh, good job, Geraldo. Go get him. Thank you, brother. All right, congratulations. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I'm going to take your calls first time today, so get on board. If you prefer to write, just go to briankillme.com. Just click on comments, and I'll get your reports. And then Lonnie Chen will bring us inside the Republican Party. Uh, Right now, things have never been better. And think about where they were a year ago. They lost two Senate races, and they had a president whose rally turned into a, a raid on the Capitol. So things were looking as bad as possible, and now I don't think they've ever looked better. Go figure. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
my concern mostly about the mandate and the Supreme Court ruling on it is really they have been talking about a mandate designed for a different virus. They've been talking about a mandate designed for Delta. So when we saw that the, that the mandate was upheld for healthcare workers, we've got to recognize Delta now represents less than 2% of all the COVID viruses out there. That's according to the CDC. And a study just came out of Southern California that it's so mild that out of 52,000 Omicron cases, not a single person went on to need a ventilator. So I'm concerned they've been using inaccurate data. It's clearly from the statements of Sotomayor, Kagan, and Breyer. Mm -hmm. And also the, this mandate have a, has a timing problem because it takes a couple weeks for people to come in and then four to six weeks for the immunity to kick in. That's when Omicron will have peaked and be at very low levels by that time. Yeah, that would make sense. If you're going to worry about a mandate, can we just be honest? In the vaccine, according to the CEO of Moderna and others, is really not effective. And with a booster, limited help. So uh, maybe they give you less symptoms. That's what the president's going on now. But we're actually debating something that the Omicron variant beats. Cato is listening online in Florida. Cato, you are also listening to our conversation on Russia. Good morning. Yes, what's on your mind? Well, this is what I've got. Uh, uh, first of all, I just want to say my position, right, that uh, uh, I am a, a Republican conservative, right? And uh, the fact that I don't understand why people or the media in, in the state is really pushing the idea that Russia is attacking Russia going to the borders of Ukraine and so on. Look, they are interested in protecting their borders, period. I mean, we have uh, – it's not American borders. It's their borders. Could you imagine – Cato, you if, have a solid point, but it's not a matter of protecting their borders. They want to influence the entire region again, infected and slave them, not enslave, but slave them to their economy, use their resources, and limit their people. And they're tired of that. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think Joe Biden and the Democrats are frustrated that they can't remake the American political system so they never have to relinquish power. That's what today's debate is really about, Laura. They want to destroy the Senate rules and customs, not so they can, say, raise your taxes or they can confiscate your guns. Or they would do those things, of course. But it's so they can do things like federalize our elections and take over the way elections are conducted in all 50 states. Make Washington, D.C. a state so they get two Democratic senators in perpetuity. Pack our courts to include the Supreme Court. That's what this is all about. The Democrats know that their agenda is massively unpopular and it's delivered catastrophic results for Americans, like the highest inflation in 40 years. And it's all, and there's nothing he said that was, if I could use Joe, Joe Biden's favorite word, hyperbole, because the economy is reeling. Inflation highest since 1982. You see, they say we're in full employment, but there's the the, uh, the worker participation in the workforce has never been lower. And then you have a situation where they can't pass any of their legislations because it's so revolutionary, it is not popular with their own party. Lonnie Chen knows all about political uh, realities. He's California State Controller candidate. He's Director of Domestic Policy Studies at the Public Policy Program at Stanford University, longtime Hoover Institute guy who also tried to get Mitt Romney elected in 2012. Lonnie, welcome back. Hey, Brian, Happy New Year. Can I say Happy New Year still? Is that okay? Uh, I think that you could do that without Microsoft <laughs> changing what you're saying because they have new software to do that. 
Uh, Lonnie, can I yeah. just ask you first off, have you ever seen uh, such epic fails as what you witnessed yesterday, a political fails? No, you know, I mean, here, here's the reality of it, Brian. You do have, you know, and, and Tom Cotton's an old friend of mine, and uh, we actually went to college together. He he raises some very, very big concerns about what the Democrats are trying to do. And, and it's also very short-sighted, if you think about it, Brian, because if you change the filibuster rules now, then what you've essentially done is you have completely changed our political system. The reason the Senate is there is to provide for a pause, to provide for deliberation, to provide for people to consider public policy in a reasoned way. And essentially what, uh, what the Democrats are proposing to do now is to wipe all that away just so that they can have a couple of, of policy victories over the next couple of years. And, you know, w- we can have a debate about the things they want to do, and there's a number of things they want to do that are deeply troubling. But I would say that in the long run, what they are promising is a completely different political system. And, and that's very scary to me, Brian, because that will change the entire uh, landscape of what we're trying to do with public policy in the U.S. And I think people need to understand that there are grave implications of this. Uh, well, I think people do. And I think Democrats used to. They feared this because Donald Trump was asking for this almost every day. Mitch McConnell, blow up the filibuster. Get something passed. He's like, I will not do that. But it was Harry Reid that started us down this path that was expanded by Mitch McConnell for the Supreme Court justices, first originally for justices. And if you had carved out this for voting, uh, it was done, as Joe Manchin said. So Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema were not there. But, Lonnie, I don't care what you want. You're, you're an operative. You know the reality. So Joe Biden has been there for 50 years. Why would he put his political capital out there knowing that Sinema and Manchin were not on board? Well, I, I think the simple answer is that the the progressive elements in the Democratic Party, I mean, uh, for all the talk about the challenges with the Republican Party, and, and there are challenges, of course, in, in every modern political party, but the, the problem with the Democratic Party is that it has, by and large, in many places, including here in California, really become a, a token of the far progressive left. And what you see increasingly are politicians trying to respond to that instead of the broad majority of Americans who really want sensible public policy, who are in the middle of this. And so Joe Biden has fallen victim, I think, to the same dynamic that so many politicians, you know, Gavin Newsom here in California, that uh, you can go down the list of different Democratic governors who are beholden to the far progressive left. And thank goodness, I'll say, for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who are willing to stand up and say, you know what, this is not how we should make policy. By the way, you know, I, you and I probably would disagree with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema in a, in a relatively significant percentage of times. But there's also a significant percentage of times where we might say, yeah, what they're doing is the right thing. That's the, the hallmark, in my view, of a good policymaker. Someone who's willing to stand up for what's right, even when it means going against their party's base. So this is the challenge of the Democratic Party. Joe Biden has fallen into that trap, and it's really sad to see. Yeah, I just don't know. I thought he'd be moderate who couldn't get the left with him. I didn't know he was going to be way to the left who can't get the moderates with him. It's exact backwards. So I want to pivot to uh, the coronavirus. You're in the most oppressive country, excuse me, state in the country in uh, in California. That All they do is clamp down and mandate. So Kamala Harris is sitting down with Craig Melvin. This is the former attorney general and senator from your state. I would argue you know her as well as anyone politically. So here's her being unable to answer the question that is paramount in America today, cut 15. At what point does the administration say, you know what, 
this strategy isn't working. We're going to change strategies. Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down. And so right now we know we still have a number of people that, that is in the millions of Americans who have not been vaccinated and could be vaccinated, and we are urging them to get vaccinated because it will save their life. Okay, what was that? Uh, I've never heard something as embarrassing as that, that matters so much. There needs to be another strategy, correct? Well, the, the answer was incomprehensible, first of all. Can't even get my head uh, around it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I just think they don't know what to say anymore because, uh, you know, for all of the discussion, all the conversation about this, here's what we know. This is an incredibly um, virulent, it is an incredibly contagious virus. And there are only so many interventions that will work before what you have to say is, listen, can we examine what we're doing? Can we pause and say what kind of public policy needs to work at this point? And, and I just don't think the administration has, uh, has answers to this. I mean, I've read some criticism recently, for example, that says that they need to start thinking about how going forward we can all manage this as opposed to being scared of it. And I think that is a fundamental shift in philosophy that either the administration is not willing to admit to or, 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 or they just can't. But, but here's the thing. If you look at this across the country, many places are doing what they can, right? They're not being irresponsible about it, but they are trying to encourage Americans to do what they can to also live their lives. And, and we have to take this into balance. I mean, we have all of this, all of this study that's come out now about the impact, for example, of kids not being in school. And now you've got so many places, so many large urban centers, Los Angeles, Chicago, they're talking about keeping kids out of school again. I mean, this is a, a remarkable thing we're seeing in our country where we actually have public policy data on the negative impacts of keeping kids out of school, for example. But so many places, all they want to do is keep kids out of school. So, so I, you know, this administration needs to figure out heads from tails and begin to really answer questions the American people have about the future uh, of what things are going to look like with these continuing COVID restrictions. And the problem is, Lonnie, we all know you're in a campaign now. You know campaign, they'll say things get elected. I understand it. But when you talk about the pandemic, he says we're going to kill the virus, not the economy. He has not killed the virus. He has killed the economy. And he came out and said, how dare you not have enough testing? Anybody, uh, obviously, the tests were already invented by the time he took office. All he had to do was reorder me, didn't do it, let alone create them. Trump created them. Number two, when it comes to therapeutics, he actually, Merck and Pfizer, have a therapeutic to keep you and I alive and keep that 75-year-old smoker from going into the hospital. But he didn't order enough. That's inexcusable. Of course, the and by the way, Trump always said keep schools open. They said it's irresponsible. So almost everything that Trump had said and he had criticized, we actually need to do, and he didn't. So that's his problem. And if you don't have the right answers, and if your biggest critic are the people that were on the medical team from your transition team, you have to have something to say by the time you sit down with network television. And she had nothing to say as if she was in another country. Do you know her to be that 
ill-prepared? Is that the senator you knew, the attorney general you knew? Well, I, you know, I, I, I do think that she uh, uh, clearly that answer was horrible. And I do think it reflects um, maybe just a lack of understanding about all the different public policy challenges uh, that one faces as vice president. And, and it's a serious job. And we're in a serious time right now. I want to go back to your point, Brian, about the availability of tests and things like that. We are seeing all over this country shortages in things that people need to address the challenge of, of, of COVID. And there are promises that have been made. For example, didn't this administration promise repeatedly, you know, a, 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 a test for every family? Uh, I know here in California, you've seen the governor promise that every school children, every every school age child and family should be able to get access to home tests. We still don't have that yet. All of these promises keep getting made, and and none of the promises are being followed through on. That I think is what's frustrating people also about this COVID situation, Brian. Is that you know we keep hearing things, right? We keep hearing eradicate the virus. We're going to kill the virus. The, the reality is. You know, the only virus we've eradicated in our lifetimes is smallpox, right? And, and, and even if you think about polio, something which is exceedingly rare, rare, even that's not been eradicated. So the notion that we can eradicate uh, COVID and, and that this administration and the vice president and others continue to have that stance is just completely dissonant with reality. And, and they need a reality check. I'm sorry. They need a reality check. So when that happens with the government, uh, even at the executive branch, Obviously, it becomes so insular, they become so defensive, they don't want anybody in. you got to do just the opposite. Anthony Fauci's failed. Uh, if you look at pure numbers, he's an epic failure. At the very least, you have to open up that circle of understanding. Because when your biggest critics are from your own party, that's an in- another thing. The other thing is, people that aren't as involved in politics like you and I are, are affected by what's going on. So the, the shelves are bare. Uh, we can't get back to school. You can't get back to work. You're having trouble going to a restaurant. You have debates on the most fundamental basic issues ever, on travel, on on uh, going to college. So you look around and go, well, who's making these policies? Who's making us get a vaccine? Who's making us get a booster? Why are all these people testing positive? Having said all that, he goes out and says this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated knowing that almost everybody watching them right now, 70% of which over 12 have gotten vaccinated, know somebody fully vaccinated and boosted that have gotten the virus. And yet he still walks out and say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the, there's that. And you also raise a very good point, which is there is a pass the buck mentality here, right? It, it's like we're just going to say whatever it is, it's not our fault. The inflation, this inflation thing is a perfect example, right? We saw recently reporting that said that the inflation in this country is worse than it's been since 1982, 7% month over month in December. And what is this administration's response to that? Well, that's not our problem. It's not our fault. You know, and, and there was even that clip, the, the famous clip of, I, I think it was one of the administration officials, the Secretary of Energy, cackling and laughing when she was asked about the role that inflation plays in, in people's lives. Granholm. Yeah. It, it's remarkably callous of this administration to be to be unwilling to admit that their policies have contributed to the inflation that we're seeing, right? You cannot have four, five, six trillion dollars of fiscal stimulus and not right. expect that to take the economy 
and, and create inflation. So these, these guys need a, a – It's well, like I said earlier, they need a reality check. What they have is January 6th, and now today he's going to talk about the bipartisan infrastructure deal, which he took five months to sign. Makes no sense. So the Republicans have a lot. They have a lot of money, a lot of momentum. They're poised to take the House. They feel confident they could take the Senate. Uh, what would you, as a Repo- as a conservative that you are out on the West Coast, you're running as a California state controller candidate. What what re- what would you recommend the party do from here on in, knowing so that life when it comes to this pandemic in Russia, it's beyond political points. You're talking about national prestige and survival. Yeah, I mean there are very real issues that our country faces. There are very real real issues we face here here in my state, which is uh, which is California, obviously. But I, I, what I think we need to focus on across the country is the recognition that there are serious policy challenges that are not being addressed. I talked about inflation, the economy, the importance of having sound policy, fiscal policy, ensuring that we're doing the right things to get families uh, more money into their pockets, so that they're able to do the things they need to do, making sure that our, our kids are getting a solid education. And then you mentioned the challenges from places like Russia and, of course, China, these continue to be really significant issues. So, um, look, we need to focus on on substance, Brian. That's the most important thing, the substance of how we can make things better in this country. That really needs to be the focus at the end of the day. And we could talk about politics all day long, but for me at least, one of the reasons that I'm – actually, the big reason I'm running for state controller is precisely because I believe we need more accountability in our politics. We need more transparency in our politics. And we need to start bringing some of that back and really legitimately thinking about what that means. I hear you. Lonnie Chen, thanks so much. Best of luck. Hey, thank you. Take care, Brian. All right, you got it. one 408 7669 We'll be back to take your calls in just a moment. A lot going on here. Brian Kilmeade Show. What is the Granholm plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Past administrations have been really quite leery about litigating these issues on the edges of of presidential power because they didn't want not only a loss for their own administration, but to bind future presidents. That's why this is so reckless, is that they're taking very weak arguments and creating really strong precedent against their own office. So that's what uh, Jonathan Turley doing some instant analysis on the Supreme Court decision that came across our uh, our show on Thursday that talked about how it's it is not constitutional for the executive branch to uh, unilaterally just pass a uh, uh, pass a law that says that every private business with over 100 employees has to get vaccinated or take a test every certain amount of days. Can't do it. And if you want to pass a law, you can do it. But they didn't do it. They circumvented it. And foolishly, Ron Klain, the uh, chief of staff knew about it, and he exposed it by retweeting an anchor who said this is a workaround. He said, yeah, it's a workaround. So imagine me saying, yeah, I told you I didn't mean to shoplift. I didn't know it was in my pocket, but then whispering to the guy next to me, yeah, I put it in my pocket. I'm just going to use that as an excuse so they don't press charges. And that's why it all blew up. So, you know, you didn't get 
if you are somebody, if you're a hospital or, or in a medical program that takes uh, federal aid like Medicare or Medicaid, you can mandate that everybody there gets vaccinated. Hence, some great people, great nurses, great doctors, medical workers are all out of a job. They were fired because they either had it or are not comfortable with this vaccine. These are experts. Some of them are PhDs. Some of them are surgeons. Some of them are nurses, cancer nurses. We see all these hospital worker shortages and these overtaxed uh, hospitals. Well, if you didn't fire everyone for not getting vaccinated, even though they know how to keep safe because it's in their own best interest to do so, and they treated COVID patients, maybe you wouldn't have this problem. And that comes from hospital workers don't push back, and it comes from the executive branch and Democratic governors. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com, pick up the president and freedom fighter. Put race in America in perspective. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Go back on the air. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. 1-866-408-7669. Shannon Bream coming up in a matter of moments. And Jesse Waters at the bottom of the hour. The big news, he is going to be hosting primetime. So he's here at 7, and he hosted, I believe he was on Hannity last night. So that's great. Uh, We know the President of the United States is trying to get some good news, so he's going to be trumpeting the bipartisan infrastructure bill that he got forward. You know who's not going to be there? Anybody on the left, certainly not the squad, because they hate that bill, because not enough green stuff in it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Putin is going to have a choice here to make. Does he want to take on uh, consequential economic sanctions and more troops posted in NATO countries than what are there now and more missiles in those countries than what are there now? Or is he going to conduct a limited attack into eastern Ukraine? And that is uh, General Jack Keane with me on Fox and Friends today talking about the collapse, not collapse, but end of the NATO-Russia talks and what it means because already the Ukrainians have gotten hit by a cyber attack and the Wall Street Journal, a very provocative article with quotes from a foreign minister who wants to put missiles in Venezuela and Cuba. Would we tolerate that? Number two. The 500 million tests that have been ordered that are going to be sent to every, every American, do we know when those are going out? Shortly. They're going to go out shortly. They've been ordered. They've been ordered. We, I have to look at the current information. I think it's going to be by next week. Should we have done that sooner? We are doing it. But should we have done it sooner? We are doing it. Uh, <laughs> uh, COVID catastrophe. From testing to mixed messaging to Supreme Court losses, every aspect of handling of this pandemic is under scrutiny from both parties. Yes. And the VP will not be bailing out the president. The latest catastrophe from her perspective Again, number one, as we kind of hit this one year period and a period where everything seems like it's in pretty rough shape or nearly everything. You do hard things in White Houses. Um, You have every challenge laid at your feet. We could certainly propose legislation to see if people uh, support bunny rabbits and ice cream, but that wouldn't be very rewarding to the American people. <laughs> One year in, worst week ever, ending with an embarrassing, futile, inept attempt to blow up the filibuster, ram through a voting rights bill or two of them. President Biden doesn't have the votes from his own party, and he knew it before he put his presidential prestige on the line to go to Capitol Hill. 
someone in Washington analyzing the Supreme Court decisions as well as taking in the political ramifications is Shannon Bream. You know, she hosts Fox News at night, at midnight, uh, and she's a best-selling author. Shannon, what a day yesterday. First off, for you, instant analysis on the two Supreme Court decisions. I Did you kind of think that this was going to be a split decision? Yeah, after hearing the arguments last Friday, it's that seemed to make the most sense. It seemed like there was enough of a groundswell of questions and concerns about the OSHA mandate and that it just swept way beyond anything the federal government's been allowed to do before, um, that it just didn't fit in with the parameters of the, you know, the executive branch's powers. But this issue with CMS, um, the Medicare and Medicaid funding and workers that work at facilities that have that funding, there are always strings attached to federal money. So that seemed like that was a much closer case that you know, again, it just took five justices. That one vote could have gone either way from either, you know, Justice Kavanaugh or the chief justice. Um, but they were convinced that, listen, these facilities that receive this money already know there are strings attached. And so if the string attached this time is a vaccine that the secretary has within his authority determined he thinks will stop the spread of COVID, um, that's not, you know, so far beyond the powers of um, it, it's not beyond the powers of the secretary at all. Yeah, and I think the mandate's getting more unpopular by the day, especially when all these vaccinated people uh, and boosted people are getting the virus anyway. They thought, if I make this decision, at least I'm out of the woods. And the long term is what a lot of people questioned. Here's Governor Pete Ricketts in Nebraska. He is relieved. Cut 28. Nebraskans don't need to be mandated to do the right thing. Throughout the pandemic, we asked them to do the right things, and they just did it. They took care of each other. Uh, and then, of course, Politico came out with their scorecard of states, and Nebraska scored the best of any of the states with regard to the pandemic without doing mandates or lockdowns. And that's in contrast to what you see is going on in these different cities. And, you know, you made the comment earlier about the vaccines. I mean, now that we know the vaccines don't really prevent you from getting the virus or transmitting the virus, in a sense, they're just another form of treatment. And so we ought to be thinking about it from that standpoint about how we manage the, vac- the virus and not be mandating vaccines or having vaccine, you know, cards that you have to show to get in and Ugh. those databases. All this stuff is just it just completely makes no scientific sense. And that's a great line. It is more of a treatment because even the president said yesterday, you know, you're seven. He says uh, you're 17 times more likely to get hospitalized if you get this virus than if you don't get vaccinated. It is a treatment. Well, listen, we knew when we heard the arguments at the court last week that some of these justices were not up to date on the latest information, I will put it nicely, um, that they're operating off of. First of all, the the world has changed since November when those mandates came out. We were still primarily dealing with Delta. Omicron hadn't showed up, which is, you know, bad news for some people, but for the vast majority of people is not bad news. And it also is evading the vaccines. So, you know, you've got a situation now where if these mandates were put into place, to stop the transmission, they're not doing that. And everybody from the CDC to NIH, Fauci, Walensky, they all admit that openly and don't try to hide it. The acting FDA director said on the Hill this week, we think everybody's getting COVID. So, you know, uh, the science has changed as it does. It evolves. We learn more. And clearly um, the the regulations that were set up as these federal mandates um, were done at a time when the science and things were different. It's uh, amazing what it what has happened over the last two days, where it is not even a nuance to see people's take on how it's going. I mean, for the president of the United States to get in his SUV and stream over to the Capitol and have Kirsten Cinema on the floor saying, I am not going along with blowing up the filibuster. Uh, I'm saying to myself, who's, you know, Shannon, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. This is just bad politics. 
It is, because you've got to control the optics of what's going on, and certainly within your own party. I mean, that's something that presidents always get criticized for if you can't herd the cats within your own party, if you're a Democrat or Republican. But to go ahead and go up to the Hill when um, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin have made it clear, and doing it again yesterday, we are not going along with this. We continue, just like you do. My inbox gets filled with things from uh, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer saying we're moving forward, we're voting this weekend. Well, now we're not because we're having a snowstorm and there's COVID. Um, it, it's very disjointed. Um, the White House and the Hill are not on the same page um, it, with the realities of what they're dealing with. And when you have poll numbers at 33% approval, you're upside down on COVID, the economy, the future of the country. Um, that's not the time to, you know, go up to the Hill and make your optics look even worse when members of your own party are the ones who are stopping you from getting what you want. At some point, you have to stop and reassess. Right. Uh, so the economy was a big story on Wednesday. On Tuesday was the president's ridiculous speech in Georgia where he says, if you agree with me, you're Abraham Lincoln. If you disagree with me, you're Jefferson Davis. Someone loaded that teleprompter, so someone's happy about that. But I don't know where that came from, and the voting laws are not Jefferson Davis, Abraham Lincoln, Civil War style. Nobody looks at the Georgia thing rationally and says that. So I'm wondering, as you look at the structure of that administration, is Ron Klain with all the sway? Is this Susan Rice using her, her instincts? What is going on behind the scenes? And listen, you got to wonder, because remember, Ron Klain did not help them this week with the mandate cases at the Supreme Court. He retweeted um, that tweet that said, when they came out with the mandates, hey, this is the ultimate workaround using a federal agency. Well, that came up in the arguments, and Justice Gorsuch in his con- uh, concurrence actually referenced um, this administration trying to do a, quote, workaround, which seemed like a reference to Ron Klain's retweet. So, you know, they've got to be more careful about what they're saying publicly and privately, but again, Again, everything that they're doing right now is kind of like my dad says, some people have the Midas touch. Everything they touch turns to mufflers. And that's sort of how it feels at this White House right now. They're not making good decisions, and they're doubling down on things that aren't working, like we're going to blow up the filibuster and pass this voting rights law. Um, You're not, because two members of your party say you're not going to do it. Um, Yeah, so to go to Georgia and not even have Stacey Abrams show up and then basically say you're a racist if you're not with us on this, um, that kind of stuff is not going to win over Joe Manchin or Kirsten Sinema. I don't think either one of them heard that speech and they're like, yep, I'm a racist. I need to give up my objection to the filibuster and abandon the principle that I've said that's built on. You know, i got to raise my self-esteem because I said to myself, I keep reading or trying to find all the nuances, the axios, the play, playbook. I was texting Chad. I'm saying, what am I missing? Why would someone commit to a Martin Luther King vote when there's no sign that these mm-hmm. two senators are going to flip the filibuster and then vote for this John Lewis bill? And why, when you know that 71% of the country, if not more, are for voter ID, most of which are uh, people of color are for voter ID, when you're demanding people eating a restaurant to have to show ID and a vaccine card, why would you go to bat and say we got to get rid of voter ID, have a national holiday, and, and give ballots to everyone? So to me, what they're doing is not even universally popular. So they, it turns out there is no game plan. And I think when you write about this first year, it'll be his the worst thing to happen to President Biden is to win those two Georgia seats and then mm-hmm. go meet with those uh, historians who told him he could be LBJ and FDR. And he couldn't. He didn't have the votes. He doesn't have the public sentiment. It's a different country now. Yeah, and, and there was— a lot of chatter in Washington about that, about the the nervousness they had 
sort of at winning those two Georgia seats, knowing that Vice President Harris could be their tiebreaker on the Hill, and that anything they wanted to get done, they'd have to keep every single person together in their party. They would always have to do that in order to move anything forward, whereas, you know, even if you split those Georgia seats, you could constantly blame the Republicans for things getting gummed up and not getting done in the Senate. Um, but instead, the, the only reason I can think they're pushing so hard in the voting rights bill is because it's really all they've got right now as far as, you know, a, a conversation. They're, they're tanking on all of the major issues right now with independents, with big chunks of Democrats, with Hispanics, with blacks, with, you know, all kinds of subsets of voters out there. Um, they're really having a rough time. The voting rights bill, I think they believe will, um, you know, excite their base. But again, it, you saw how many of the people, progressive groups and part of their base, who it's backfiring because they said, we're not even going to show up to this thing, along with Stacey Abrams, who had a scheduling conflict. But even the progressives and the left, who I guess this is aimed at, said, we're not coming. You don't have any way to pass this. We're tired of the speeches and us supporting you and getting super excited, and you guys knowing this is going nowhere. But, you know, the only other thing I can think is that they want to force it to some kind of vote and then say Republicans are voting against you, they're racist, they don't want equity in voting. That's kind of the only play they have right now in D.C. Yeah, I don't think it's it. I just don't sense that people are going to fall for that. Here's Kamala Harris because she's on the inflation question. Single-handedly, the most uh, universal and pervasive thing that hits everybody listening to us right now, cut 32. Given what we've seen over the, the past year, why should Americans believe that this administration has has a fix for inflation? So, essentially, the issue is whether folks can afford the cost of living. Is the cost of living going up? To your point, issues like groceries and gas. And, again, there are issues that can be addressed in the short term, and then there are issues that are going to be addressed in terms of impact on families in the longer term. So we need to deal with the short-term issue, which is supply chain. We also need to deal with the long-term issue. Feel better? <laughs> There's been a lot of word salad this week, <laughs> I feel like. Because, um, listen, there are tough questions, and we all know, especially, you know, the vice president gets sent on some very unpleasant assignments, usually, and they're out there a lot of times taking a lot of incoming, but they have to know what the questions are that you prep for these things. They don't walk in without prep. Um, so you got to wonder, are they not kind of doing the moot court practice questions that they think they're going to get? Because we know what they're going to be asked. I mean, there are difficult, difficult things all across the economy and across the country. I don't know how you're not wargaming and, and thinking of the best possible answers for those questions, uh, knowing you're getting them. I, and we both know that because we're in broadcasting and communication, and there are some times where you're not, you are surprised. But to say inflation is not going to be one of those things. What do you talk about inflation? Well, yeah, supply chain matters. What about oil and gas? And we have to find a way to get that number down. And maybe we're going to make an alteration to the no ban on federal uh, drilling on federal lands. And we're going to refire up some of those, uh, you know, uh, some of the pipelines that are going right now. And uh, we're going to uh, do the best we can to cut regulation to allow people to get back to work. Here's what Bill Simon said. He's the Walmart CEO about what he's seeing with not only the lack of people in, a, in labor for actually working, but the price of goods. Cut 33. 
and it is driving inflation. It is a big component of it. But it's, in, you know, sort of in my career, I've never seen such a seller's market in labor. And it's a time, and uh, it's what's really causing the great resignation, as you described it earlier. It's it's yeah. uh, a buyer, a seller's market. You know, people are leaving a job for a better job and better wages, and and uh, that's a that's a unsettling thing. Uh, you know what. Where you could have found somebody at twelve or fourteen dollars, you're now paying twenty or twenty-two dollars an hour to do. And while that's good for the worker, it's not great for the business. Because just do the math, Shannon. As you do, if you're paying workers a lot, and you you have a certain business model, what you're going to do is up the price of that product. Correct. Especially if you have to wait for that product is not as much as that product because of the we're coming out of a pandemic and some uh, some problems we're having at ports that might have been preventable. Yeah, and listen, unfortunately, um, most of the analysts and economists out there predict this isn't going to get better quickly. Um, We have been told for a long time that inflation was transitory, that there were hiccups and bubbles in the supply line, um, but there are so many complex, complex factors that are feeding into what's happening. Everyone admits it's not going to be over soon now. And we have such an odd situation in our economy now where we have these huge numbers of open jobs and we have huge numbers of people who say they're quitting, that there was something that happened during um, COVID that made them realize, I want a different quality of life. I, I feel like I can demand more out of my employer or go somewhere else and find a different job. So tons of job openings, a lot of people who don't feel motivated to go back to work, um, that is just going to continue to have a ripple effect. And right now, obviously, so many businesses have people out with with Omicron, um, that it's just a perfect stew for a, a tough time anywhere that you've been. I was at the grocery store earlier this week. Um, the shelves were not bursting at the seams, and the lines to check out were all the way down the aisles of the well, grocery store. That's so, why you should never have fired, fired your butler, butler. I told you. You should <laughs> not be doing is that. on leave for now. <laughs> Fox News at night tonight. Thanks, Shannon. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Dr. Fauci, instead of letting the sycophantic media fawn all over you, let's talk facts. You got COVID wrong. Let's get the facts straight here. You and me, let's have a debate doctor to doctor and give the American people the truth about COVID-19. Well, it's a good idea. There's not a million years that Dr. Oz will get his offer to Dr. Fauci taken up on. I mean, Dr. Fauci doesn't like going on outlets that want to debate him, period. That's why he doesn't come on Fox. In fact, first time I realized he was a political animal is when he came on Fox when this pandemic first happened. And I just had seen him a few nights before on all these other channels. And we finally got him and they took forever to book him. And we finally book him. And what a huge attitude he has. In fact, at the end of it, to lighten things up, there was some Fauci... A bobblehead that was out there. And I said, I was wondering, at the, uh, Dr. Fauci, how much I should be paying for this. And he says, well, this is not really time to kid around. And then something similar happened. They asked him, who would play you in the movie if someone was about to do you uh, to, to make this uh, pandemic movie that they're talking about? And he's thinking, oh, he starts kidding around with CNN saying, well, I'm thinking Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. I'm a big fan of his. And then who would play Cuomo? Oh, wait a second. Why would he have that attitude in the same pandemic within 24 hours? After Trump lost, he went on Rachel Maddow and said, you're my favorite show. I wanted to go on your show so bad. I thought to myself, game over. Now he is useless. He's without credibility. He's a political animal, even at 81. He will not relinquish the spotlight. Pathetic. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mr. President, Senator Sinema is opposed to filibuster reform. Can you get this done? 
I hope we can get this done. The honest-to-God answer is, I don't know whether we can get this done. Is this mic on? I guess, anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not sure either. But anyway, I hope we can get this done. Well, that was uh, Joe Biden, one of the worst days a president could possibly have. And he uh, was out there after meeting behind closed doors with his caucus, knowing that Kirsten Cinema about an hour before blew up any hope that he had of blowing up the filibuster by saying, almost teary-eyed, "I'm not going to do it. I'm not necessarily against election reform, but I'm not going to do it." Which is she's been saying for a year, which Joe Manchin's been saying for a year. Jesse, I know you lived this. I watched you on the five yesterday, and then with uh, Sean Hannity last night, and you focused on Kamala Harris. I actually did that with Tucker. Similar thing with Tucker. But that was one of the worst days a president could have yesterday. It's like he was alone. Does he even have a staff? <laughs> well, he's used to rejection. You know, he proposed to his wife eight times before she said yes. Which one? This one? Yes, Jill. Dr. Wow. Biden. I did not and know that. And it took eight times for her to say yes. So I guess you could say he's persistent. Okay. And, and if you're almost 80 years old— you're going to take the long view of things. And you heard him say that at the end. You, go, you know, civil rights legislation, sometimes these things take a while. <laughs> I mean. How do you compare? Isn't that I, an insult? First of all, it's not civil rights legislation. Thank you. Okay. But his point is, you know what? We're going to take a crack at this. Maybe next year we'll take another crack. I don't think the country's thinking about it that way. Well, I'm, I'm kind of relieved because a year ago, you might have even been in at that time. They were going to add two states to the union. They were going to add two oh, Supreme Court do justices. DC and yeah. Puerto Rico. Yeah, and remember this—that was the goal. And then we're going to blow up the filibuster and pass all this legislation. And almost none of it's come to fruition, except for the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And he jammed 1.9 trillion dollars right. down our throats, which even Larry Summers says helped fuel the inflation. Right. We're now so that was in. a little grease fire for the dollar. And then you add infrastructure. So if you're running in a midterm election, those aren't sexy items to fire up the Democratic base. They're just not. Right. Infrastructure. First of all, that money's not even going to go out the door next year. Even probably. though he's having a presser today. on Right. It. But I mean, that's all he has. And then COVID relief. Do you feel relieved from COVID? I mean, they spent two trillion dollars. You person. can't even get a test. They're running out of antibodies. Right. I mean, that's crazy. So he's kind of empty handed going into a midterm year and can't inspire anybody. When you hear him, pretend you're a Democrat, Brian. Would you be inspired? Would you would you just, you know, want to run through a wall if you heard the guy talk? No, no. I, never. But don't worry, because he's got a vice president who represents the future of the party, who has great contacts with the Senate. So if you need any type of leverage and power in the Senate, she'll just call. Uh, use her speed dial to call Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. She looks totally clueless about almost every major issue, as if she was asked to be a sportscaster for two years and not pay attention to the news. <laughs> you know, it sounds like when you pad your resume with fake experiences and then you get into the job interview. Something you're very familiar with. Yeah, and the, they start asking you about these fake experiences and you just start making things up. That's what she sounds like. And she doesn't have deep connections on Capitol Hill. She's a pretty new senator, right. and she doesn't seem like she gets along with people. It's not like Biden when he was VP for Obama. You know, he had 30 years. He could go and be old Joe and slap some backs and shake some hands. You notice she didn't even go to Capitol Hill to close the deal on voting rights yesterday. He went. So I don't know if he doesn't think she has what it takes to knock heads together. Or she didn't want anything to do with it because she knows it's going to fail. You know, the story, I think it was in Axios, that said that when Joe Manchin would come in to visit, uh, she would be asked to leave. Really? Yeah. So she'd be leaving the room, and like she'd come over, and they would talk, and they would talk about what they got, and he goes, okay, Joe's coming over. And she would leave. 
So the problem is, see, a lot of stuff that we know or people listening to us right now know is because they're in the room. Uh, and my example earlier was you bought a house before? Yeah. Before you bought a house, you had a million questions. I'm watching videos, right? Yeah. But now I don't really think. I know exactly what I'm getting into, mistakes I made before. And if someone says, how do you buy a house? I don't go, let me check my notes. It's just here. Right. The stuff that's instinct and with it, every lawmaker has, she doesn't have. Right. So she's in the dark and she's feeling her way through. And I don't think she's prepped enough, obviously. She doesn't know how to answer a basic question. Are you going to be on the ticket? The easiest question ever. These aren't hard questions. When are the tests coming? You know, it's like she doesn't even know basic stuff. I think what I see her doing, I think she looks in the mirror a lot. I think she fusses over superficial things. I think she gets involved into personnel BS that doesn't really matter. She's not focused on the job. She's not focused on policy. And then she does a national TV interview, and she looks like it's amateur hour. So a lot of things, which interesting is, I thought President Trump's weakest thing was the pandemic, right? Oh, my goodness, you know, some of the things, some of the press conferences. But a lot of his instincts there were turned out to be correct. They were Remember? Right. Too many testing. Too much testing. Enough. We got to get, get the kids back in school. We, I, he was reluctant to shut down the economy. Blame China right away. That's where it starts. So he, a lot of the stuff he was doing, and he had that great, and even if it wasn't his idea, he signed off on it, pre-ordering all those vaccines before the testing data came back. We and he kept saying therapeutics, and so Joe Biden kept saying therapeutics didn't warp speed the therapeutics. They didn't advance order any therapeutics. They didn't advance order the COVID pills. So now there's a COVID pill shortage. It's only quarter million pills. Do you know anyone that's gotten this treatment? No, nobody. They, I don't think it's out yet. But they said it was out. I haven't seen it. But they didn't order enough because they never pre-ordered it. And you're right about the president's instincts. The last president and. The only knock on him, he wasn't, I guess, compassionate enough to the people of the country, especially the older generation that were nervous, anxious, and, we're being, and yeah, scared most of them because died. this was a new phenomenon. And that was, I guess, the only legit knock you had, because if you look at the fundamentals from warp speed to lockdown openings to pretty much everything, he was right on the money. And then you get a guy who was supposed to care more than President Trump. I don't know if he cares more because he doesn't act like he cares. Right. He's not doing the fundamental things that you need in terms of opening and therapeutics and forward thinking. And I think now you can compare Trump to Biden vis-a-vis COVID. And if you go back in time, I think the country would take a second look at Trump. Here's the other thing. Uh, You know who looks better all the time? Mike Pence. Yeah. Because when Mike Pence got an assignment, he was efficient. He he was not ducking. He was able to hold his own press conference. So so could you imagine Kamala Harris going up in that briefing room and answering questions live? No. Remember, they were taking those briefings on the networks. Absolutely. And he was – Mike Pence is no doctor. Right. And he had to basically crash course in – Epidemiology, right? And so – and he did a very good job, and he was reassuring to people. Kamala couldn't cut it. She could not cut that live, taking random questions about what their strategy right. was. And she doesn't have to be an epidemiologist. All she has to do is say, yeah, I was, I was in a briefing for 45 minutes with, with uh, this doctor, and I went over to this lab, and then I was briefed on this study. And then you don't, you don't really think about studying. You just go, yeah, uh, those pills are probably six weeks away. That's according to a meeting I just left. It just becomes natural because you know we know all this. This is a different venue, slightly different from the five. You do your own show. It's totally different. But with her, there's no instinct. But I want to bring you to, I think, the most uh, important thing. Donald Trump, as much as he loved the microphone and camera, would bring these people out with him. 
Why does Joe Biden not point. bring these people out with him and introduce the presser? And then when they get specific, in comes Zeitz, in comes uh, Fauci, and then it goes. And then after a while, there might be this pressure on President Biden to make a change, as opposed to President Biden has to change. Right. So there was a little showmanship to Trump when he'd bring out the people in the lab coats or you know, whoever he brought out. And, and I think the audience appreciated that in the beginning. And... Towards the end, I think he started speaking a little too much and not letting some of the Absolutely. professionals get out there. Then he just stopped there. it. And then they stopped it, and he recovered from that. But Joe Biden's – it's a solo show, and Joe Biden needs help, Brian. Absolutely. Not only does he need help just speaking. I mean he, he needs help off the cuff when, when he's talking about some of these issues. And, and the American people, I think, would feel a little more confident if he was there was like a throng – Absolutely. Of supportive faces with credentials behind him to say, hey, this is a team effort. And he doesn't have that. Right, he doesn't. I mean, and that's Klain's fault, the chief of staff. He's got to go. I mean, he's we watch go. this. Remember Dana Perino predicted he's toast. Uh, you know, well, the thing is, who's going to tell him? I mean, it's got to be a longtime friend. But do you remember when Andy Card, after the first four years with Bush, walked in and said, uh, Mr. President, you got to get rid of me. You, gotta, you should make a change. You start with a fresh start. Can you do it now? You, he turned himself in. Yeah, yeah. He said, you need a fresh Could start. Did you, you see Clay doing that? I right. don't see him doing that. No. He doesn't seem like he has a high character. My, my thing is maybe he knows he's so over his head he needs an out, like he needs to be fired. But then again, where do you go from here after this epic fail, which it is? But this is, to me, the most substantive soundbite from yesterday. And as we're talking about the Supreme Court decisions and the fact that the mandates of 100 people, private business with 100 people do not no longer have to mandate this uh, vaccine or get a test. And that got blown up. And we know these other things. Dr. Marty McCary, who knows this stuff inside and out, said this about this whole mandate conversation, Cut 27. My concern mostly about the mandate and the Supreme Court ruling on it is really they have been talking about a mandate designed for a different virus. They've been talking about a mandate designed for Delta. So when we saw that the, that the mandate was upheld for healthcare workers, we've got to recognize Delta now represents less than 2% of all the COVID viruses out there. That's according to the CDC. And a study just came out of Southern California that it's so mild that out of 52,000 Omicron cases, not a single person went on to need a ventilator. So I'm concerned they've been using inaccurate data. It's clearly from the statements of Sotomayor, Kagan, and Breyer. Mm -hmm. And also, the, this mandate have a, has a timing problem because it takes a couple weeks for people to come in and then four to six weeks for the immunity to kick in. That's when Omicron will have peaked and be at very low levels by that time. That's great. And it's exactly right. And Joe Biden was supposed to be the guy that understood the mechanisms of government. He yeah. was supposed to understand and pivot and be competent. That right. was how he contrasted himself with President Trump. And he's throwing up cases that are just getting knocked around by the Supreme Court. He's getting basically beaten in the head by his own party in the Senate. And 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 now he's going off of a playbook. It's like, you know, you play the Jets one week and then you play the Bucks the next week. You don't play the Bucks with the Jets strategy. You got to update the strategy. Right. And even NBC picked out that it's not working. Uh, Jesse's going to be here to preview his new series that he's that's going to run for 25 years. Is that true? <laughs> Jesse, will this run for 25 years? It's a 25 year run. Right, it will be just like the Simpsons. Will you beat the Simpsons? <laughs> that's the goal. That's the goal. It's all along. Will it be similar format? Exactly similar. <laughs> it will be animated. Thank you. See, we just broke news. See, you got to do stuff like this on your show. I know. What am I thinking? Back in a moment. 
Open phones <laughs> right now. I am ripe to be taken advantage of. Take advantage. 866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Please wear a mask. If you're in a, you know, I, I think it's part of your patriotic duty. It's not that comfortable. It's a pain in the neck. Joe, so finally I realized I should wear a mask. It's not comfortable. That was sort of the motivational press conference the president had after he was just embarrassed on the uh, on the Capitol floor. And with me right now is Jesse Waters. Jesse, did that work for you? Please wear a mask. Brian, I have gone all over the map on masks, and I am exhausted. In the beginning, I was anti-mask, right. and then I was pro-mask, and then I was – I didn't care anymore. I don't care. And now I don't wear one. Neither do I. And I just heard that the only mask that works is the N95. Yeah. And I've been wearing masks that don't work for Absolutely. two years. So they asked Kamala Harris that, and we might find it, but it's worth looking because I haven't seen a lot of it. Because I watched the whole interview because I was doing that Tucker segment last night. By the way, we're both going to be on the five. Tonight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm filling in for Greg. But she said, wear the mask, just wear them tight. <laughs> so can you make, wear your mask tight. I'm like, oh, thankfully. By the way, have you worn an N95 mask? Yeah, it I can't like wear it. feels like you're an oxygen tent. And you're going to make a kid do that? It hurts my face. And right. it creates wrinkle lines under my eyes, which if dense. you're on television, dense. Yeah, you can't have that. Right. We're, we're a network without dents. This is self-preservation. Right. So first off, congratulations on the Thank seven. You. What is it? I mean, and today was, you said that was a big day because you had, is your last Waters World show on the weekend. So the last ever Waters World airing this Saturday night, eight o'clock Eastern, repeats at 11. And I wrote my monologue at the top and I got a little sentimental. I almost choked up a little bit, but, um, you know, I didn't I want to be seen as weak around my colleagues. <laughs> so uh, I choked back tears, but it's been a long run. It's been a good run. And... You're going to see the best of Waters World. Sometimes people would say the worst of Waters World because there's been some ups and downs. And the show meant a lot to me. It still means a lot. But most importantly, the audience means everything to me. And it's that connection with the audience that makes, you know, my job special. How similar is your Jesse Waters primetime going to be to Jesse Waters weekend? Uh, there'll definitely be similarities. I'm still going to do a monologue at the top. We'll do uh, Waters Words at the top. Um, I will get out in the streets occasionally for a Waters World interview. Uh, it's a little cold out right now. Uh, back in the day, O'Reilly used to force me to go outside in polar vortexes, so I didn't have a choice. Did you even answer back ever? I, I had to. I said, yes, sir. And That's then, it. That's the only answer. Said, just wear a funny hat. <laughs> and, uh, and But now I can kind of pick and choose when I go out. So I'll be going out in the streets a little bit and... You know, just doing what we do best, covering the news, making it fun. All right. So did you tell Bill? Uh, he knows. Um, I, very understated. Congratulations. Uh, I'm speaking to him next week, trying to get some tips okay. on how to make the show successful because he he definitely was the best. And uh, and hopefully I can translate some of that wisdom. All right. So how are you going to ne- negotiate this? So it's a lot of studying, right? So you're going to be doing five, which you can't hit phone in the five. You've got to have no. something to say, no. especially with Greg not doing monologues. So there's more on you to give I, I, didn't, I didn't want to say this, but since Greg has stopped doing the monologues, the Five's ratings have been so good. Hey, Eric, could you check that? 
uh, make sure this is true? I've checked it. <laughs> he stopped doing the monologues. We went right to number one. <laughs> right. So, but you feel as though there's, I mean, you can't just say, well, today I'm just going to comment on uh, crazy things Dana says. No. You uh, have to. I'm going to prepare for the five just as much as I always prepare for the five. Then an hour. Brian, I'm just going to have to come in earlier. Which time do you, what time do you get I in? Mean, I mean, I, sometimes I get in, you know, 12, 1, 2. What about now? I'm going to have to get in 11. All right. I mean, I'm still. I wake up at six, and I do my meditation. Really? And do you, I, and I do my you, and I journal. <laughs> and then I I do my workout. Right. And and but I'm just gonna have to come into the building at eleven o'clock. Are you worried that um, that somehow this January sixth committee will ask for your journal? <laughs> I will subpoena your journal to find out what you were thinking during January 6th. I will bleach my journal. That's the case. <laughs> well, so so this is uh, who's going to raise your kids because you're never going to be home. Have you thought about it? Uh, well, I'll be do- spending quality time with the family in the morning. Right. But then I'll be coming home a little after eight o'clock. And I got to get right to bed like you do because I got to be up early. And I got to be fresh. Right. I have my game face on. So um, it's going to take some adjustment, but we'll get there. So a couple of things. Do you realize you're going to end up going to bed and getting some ridicule from your wife because you're going to get makeup on the pillow? Because even <laughs> though you try to take the makeup off, it doesn't come off. People don't know this, how hard it is to take this makeup it's off. It's so hard. I mean, you have it on for three hours. that You keep it on all day. And right. then you do hits on like Fox Business and Fox News all day long. And what, do you know what the routine is? Should we tell them what the routine is? First, you got to take a little baby wipe, right? And you got to smear it all off your face. And I don't know if you do this, but but they take these little circle tabs, and then you pour a makeup remover on oh, it. Oh, I don't. I just learned this, right? I just learned this because I got an eye inflammation because I didn't take the white makeup off well enough. And then you take the, and then you got to wash your face, and then you have to moisturize your face. Right. If you don't moisturize, you end up. I mean, you look like Ducey or Clint Eastwood. Right. <laughs> Same thing. That's about it. So congratulations Thank again, you. Jesse. And we'll watch the show uh, at 8 and 11. And we'll see you on the 5 tonight with us. Same outfit, same makeup. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Buy Jesse's book. It's almost as good as mine. Uh, BrianKillMe.com. I should post your book on my site. Would you do something reciprocal? I'll think about it. Thank you. Do you want to wear a tight-fitting mask? The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.